Hey, if they made a movie of your life, would people stick around in anticipation of an exciting ending? Or would they get up and walk out in boredom? Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, what do you think? What would a movie of your life be like? I mean, think about how a movie plot unfolds. The plots are all pretty similar. We'll talk about how to break those down. But would it be exciting enough to keep people riveted to their seats? Well, I asked that question recently. We're going to talk about that today. And that's going to be our theme. This is going to be one of those where I'm just going to go through a particular theme. Sometimes there are concepts that I think are worth just kind of parking on. So instead of just having a random assortment of listener questions today, we're going to park on this a little bit. So what do you think? I asked that question recently. We were actually having dinner with, with some friends. I was eating with a couple guys and I brought up that question We were talking about story brand, how we tell a story with our businesses and our lives. And I mentioned that we're creating a movie of our lives every single day, to which one of my friends commented, if my life were a movie, I'd get up and walk out in the first 10 minutes. So what do you think? I mean, what would the movie of your life be like? Is your life so far interesting enough that anyone would want to watch it? If not, what could you do to make it more interesting? Well, our quotation for today comes from Jim Henson, creator of the Muppets. You'll recognize him as such. He said, life's like a movie. Write your own ending. Keep believing. Keep pretending. Well, guess what? Your life is a movie. You are the main character. You say your scripts. You act your lines. Of course, you do your lines in every every scene. There's a hidden camera and a director And you know what? You can ask that director for help anytime you want. There's all kinds of ways to get help from directors to make your life movie more interesting. Well, our resource today is five recommended books from me, books that I recommend to help you improve your mindset and act on your dreams. So simple landing place, just go to 48days.com slash books. Got a special landing page there for you, and I'll give you the five recommended books. Now, we put this out last week to our mailing list, had a whole bunch of people raise their hand, identify which books they already had, and purchase some that they did not. So 48days.com slash books. Now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you some of the comments that came from our Eagles community when I posed this question, would people be interested in a movie of your life? And then I'm going to give you some scenes from my own life. I mean, I'm Writing a movie. Well, I'm not, no, again, not literally. I'm certainly not making a movie of my life, but I like to view it as such in that I know every day I'm creating new scenes. They can never be changed. They can never be erased. But I'm creating scenes of my life. I want it to be interesting. I want it to be fulfilling and meaningful and purposeful for me and for those people who I'm privileged to encounter along the way. So I'm going to give you a few scenes from my own movie life. 
that I think are interesting. I mean, I've got some things that I think are fun components, fun scenes in the movie of my life. And then I'm going to give you seven steps to creating a better movie of your life. So get ready, get your pen and paper out at the very tail end here. I'm going to give you seven steps that you can go through. You can look at an individual scene or you can look at the overall movie as well. Now, the la- I mentioned a couple weeks ago that in watching a movie recently, Joanna and I saw a mother comment on how her daughter's life was unfolding. Her daughter had a big dream. She wanted to be a news anchor. And her mother said, well, at eight years old, that was adorable. At 18 years old, it was inspiring. At 28 years old, it's embarrassing. Don't wake until it's heartbreaking. That was the sequence that she saw as her daughter's dream started to waver. Now her daughter did go on and achieve her dream, but it was outside of her mom's encouragement in that particular situation. Well, here's some of the comments that we got from our audience. I want to give you some of these. When I asked the question, you know, if your life were a movie, would people be fascinated by the unfolding movie of your life? Or do you need to write a couple new scripts to make it interesting? Well, Andrew says this is a great analogy because movies are made up of three acts And hopefully each of us lives three 30-year acts. That's kind of interesting. Hadn't thought about that before. 30 years and 30 to 60 and 60 to 90. Huh, that's kind of cool. For me, Andrew says, the first act of my life was super depressing, but I'm fighting hard for a comeback in the second act. All right, sounds interesting enough to stick around. DJ says, um... It says, I'm typing this from a hotel in Hollywood. So an appropriate analogy for sure. I told my wife recently that I wanted to plan my own funeral, then live a life worthy of people wanting to attend it. You know, just as an aside there, I just attended a funeral in Atlanta on Friday. Really sad event. 37-year-old triathlete. Now, her life would have made a really interesting movie. She's done major triathlon. She did the Ironman triathlon in Hawaii. She's inspired a whole lot of other people, intense athlete. She, her husband's very successful in business. Uh, they tried to have children, had some difficulty. So she had them a little later on. And she has twin boys that are 11 months old. A week ago, she laid down for a nap in the afternoon. Her husband went in and found her not breathing anymore. Totally gone. Wow. What I mean, in reviewing, he, he put together a video of her life. I mean, it was fascinating. Fascinating. The last scene was so moving. I can't even describe it because I know I'll, I'll break down and cry. So I won't do that. But anyway, yeah. So they made a movie of her life, but it got cut shorter than they anticipated. She wasn't even fully through that second stage. As Andrew described it there, she was only in the second act and she got plucked out. Hard to explain. No reasons. Cerebral aneurysm. Boom. 37 years old and gone. But the video of her life was absolutely enthralling. Well, DJ again says, I told my wife recently I wanted to play my own plan my own funeral, then live a life worthy of people wanting to attend it. Rah-rah speeches aside, I love and hate throwing out the script. In my real life, what this means is that I'm quite literally throwing out a 20-year career in information technology 
and pouring into a new career as what I'm calling a motivational coach. Not only am I facing a lot of fears, but my own mindset needs shifting. Fortunately, I have one of your recent dinner guests as a coach. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, gal, I've had a lot of dinners recently. I'm not sure who that is. While I wouldn't have walked out of the movie of my life, I'm looking for that Avengers moment. I want to live a story that everyone wants to feel a part of, one they want to go see over and over again. He said, this isn't going to happen to me. That can only happen from me. And then he has produced and directed by DJ Eshelman, written by DJ Eshelman, starring DJ Eshelman. No animals were harmed in the making of this film, except that dog I hit in 1994. Sorry about that, Scott. Well, here's, here's what you want to hear when people get to the end of, end of your movie. Yeah! You know what you want to hear? I'm standing up, screaming. Well, you know, speaking of wanting to write your own script, God, I want to share a piece with you here. Um, this, is, this comes from my friend Donald Miller. Now, some of the points I want to share today really were precipitated by Donald Miller's information story brand. He, he helps companies tell their story and individuals tell their story so that it's appealing. I mean, people remember stories. They don't remember facts and details. They remember stories. So he had written the book, Blue Like Jazz. Now, the book did okay. And so somebody came along, a movie producer came along and said, I want to make a movie of that. Donald says, okay, whatever, you know, sounds fool, like fun. So they started writing scripts. Well, well, they would write scenes like, you know, Donald came out on the balcony on the third floor. He looked down, he looked both ways. He jumped and landed on top of a white horse and rode off into the sunset. Now I just made that up, but, but anyway, it was like that. They were making scenes that were really engaging. And Donald said, well, what do you mean? That, that didn't really happen in my own life. Well, the TV or the movie producer, Steven said, well, we know that, but that's what we do in movies. We take a little bit of truth and then we expand on it to make it interesting. And Donald said, now, wait a minute. Why is it that my real life isn't exciting at all? My real life sucks. That's what he said. I heard him say that. He said, why don't I create a script for my life and live it out so it would make an interesting movie? Now, that's exactly what he did. He tells that story in his next book, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years, How I Learned to Live a Better Story. You can check that out. But he wrote about how he decided he was going to do things that would make his life interesting. Things like ride a bicycle across the United States. Well, Donald was a pretty hefty guy. He's trimmed up some, but he was a pretty hefty guy. That wasn't an easy kind of thing for him to do, but he did that. Got some friends to join him, and in the process, they raised a couple hundred thousand dollars for charity water. But yeah, DJ, I love what you're saying. Write your own script, make the scenes whatever you want to. Well, a couple of the comments here. Mariah says, Ooh, that's a great thought. That's exactly why I decided to start my club for ladies. I wanted to have fun with women and start living the life I wanted to live. What a great thought. David Hancock says, truth be told, I think it would be fascinating in thinking about the movie of his life. And I think it would be too. I know David well. David is CEO and founder of Morgan James Publishing. A lot of you have books that have been published with Morgan James. David's in my uh, mastermind. Just a great guy. His, 
<laughs> his story. I, there's something going on right now. I won't share that about David, but he, yeah, he's got a whole lot of really interesting scenes in the life of his in the movie of his life that keeps unfolding. Well, Jeff Adams says, I think in business, particularly in content marketing, copywriting for business, what you need to do is draw parallels between your story and that of the audience you want to attract. What is it about your story that draws your audience to you and therefore what you offer? Others need to see the value you offer in your story. Chet says, I love that perspective. I think I'll go pop some popcorn and contemplate that further. But seriously, wow, that's inspiring and convicting at the same time. I hope it is. You know, thinking about having a movie of your life ought to be inspiring and perhaps for some of us convicting. It's like, wow. Yeah, people would walk out after 10 minutes. There's nothing exciting going on. Michelle says, if the movie of your life is so bad you have to walk out, then you need to redesign. It's never too late to change, grow, and create the life you want. And Kent Julian, our Dean of Speaking in the uh, Eagles community, says, I love this post. And wow, what a response. I love the story of my movie. And the best scenes are still to come. So now think about your past can be better understood if you frame it as a story. Think about how any movie plot unfolds. And this is from StoryBrand, Donald Miller's material. He says, a character has a problem. He says, this is, this is the plot for any movie. doesn't matter if it's Tommy Boy, you know, Star Wars, August Rush, whatever it is. A character has a problem, then meets a guide who gives them a plan and calls them to action. That action either results in a success or a failure. So I want you to think back on your life so far. Think about specific defining events. According to Dr. Phil, this is, I love this. According to Dr. Phil, you can trace who you've become in this life to three types of external factors, 10 defining moments, seven critical choices, and five pivotal people. Now you could stop right there and just identify what have been the 10 defining moments. I I can identify some very clearly. 10 defining moments, seven critical choices, and five pivotal people. Now, again, I've got seven steps that I'm going to take you right through that you can, you know what, I'll go through these and then I'll come through them again. But then I'm going to tell you some of the scenes from my movie as it still continues to unfold. But this is how you can approach a specific problem. And I'll put these, it's too lengthy for you to jot down, but I'll put these in the show notes. You can just go to 48days.com, go to podcast. And we'll, we'll share these notes there. Number one, what was happening in your life? What did you want? Number two, what was the problem you encountered? How did you first respond? Then number three, who did you meet? What book did you read? What event did you attend that helped you come up with the possible solutions? Number four, what plan of action did you choose? Number five, what would have happened if you had chosen another plan or no action? Number six, how did that action help make you the person you are today? Number seven, what is a new challenge and opportunity you're having right now? See, none of us are at the end of our movie. I mean, it's still unfolding. Doesn't matter where you are age-wise, if you're 18 or 88, it's still unfolding if you're still here. But you can go through that. You You can take a particular event in your life and break it down like that. Or you can just take where you are right now and look at it through 
that lens. Now, here's some of the scenes from my own. I know I'm not going to develop this as a movie, uh, but I'm just going to tell you some scenes. You know that as I reflect back, I think, wow, that really had significant impact on me. And I did make decisions along the way because of that. So I was born in Buffalo, New York. We moved to Ohio when I was five years old because my dad became pastor of a little tiny Mennonite church. That was a very, very significant event in my life, my formative years. My dad pastored a little tiny Mennonite church. Now, I'll, I'll t- tell you real quick here. This is, this is part of the story. But my dad became a pastor, not because he woke up or had some revelation from God, a calling to be a pastor. No, he was being obedient to what other people expected of him. We were living in Buffalo, New York, or just outside of Buffalo, New York, Corfu, New York, a little tiny town. My dad was farming there. And the church that we were attending, Alden Mennonite Church, heard about this church in Ohio that needed a pastor. Just a small group. It was like 30 people, and they needed a pastor. So without consulting these four young men, they selected four upstanding young men in their congregation. My dad being one of those, obviously, they put four straws in a Bible and had each young man draw a straw. Guess who literally got the short straw? My dad. That's an interesting part of my story. That's how he experienced his call. He just simply had to trust the process as having been ordained by God. That was a very pivotal point in his life, obviously, and in my life as a little boy. We moved to Ohio, and that defined a whole lot of things that we, uh, that we did in the next few years, growing up in that environment. I remember other things in my life. I have right here in my office a little rubberized toy car. It's like a little Model A hot rod. I had that when I was about five years old. It was one of my prized possessions that I brought with me from New York to Ohio. I took my pocket knife and I cut notches in the wheels on that little car. So when I rolled it across the wooden floor, it would make a noise. I did that. I think that was indicative of my lifelong passion for cars. I've always been attracted to cars, and I've got that little tiny car to remind me of that. When I was in the second grade, my teacher was Melba Morgan. She was a very kind, gracious, encouraging, supportive lady, and we drew pictures in there. I drew a picture of irises, the flowers, irises. She complimented me on that in a way that I had never been complimented, especially for anything artistic. I mean, in our family, we were rewarded for doing hard work, not for doing creative things, for doing hard work, bailing hay, milking cows, you know, feeding the animals. Those things got rewarded, but things that were creative, now that was just wasting time. She had that picture that I drew of irises taken to the county fair. That was a really significant event for me. I remember that like it was yesterday to the county fair. I wasn't even allowed to go to the county fair, but my artwork in the second grade was being displayed there. Second grade, so I would have been, what, eight years old. Well, those are the kind of things I remember. When I was in high school, I was sent away. Now, I was on a farm. You know, we we milked cows. We had a Holstein dairy 
herd and we got up every morning, 365 days a year, every morning at 530 to milk those cows. And every night again at about the same time, 530, we'd milk those cows. That was the life I knew. We worked hard. I worked for two hours in the morning before I'd go to go catch the bus to go to school. I was sent away to a private Mennonite boarding school in Harrisonburg, Virginia, Eastern Mennonite High School, as punishment, as a way to control my behavior because, well, frankly, I was too involved with a local girl in our community who was not Mennonite. My parents were concerned about the degree of involvement that I seemed to have with this, and they sent me away to school as punishment. Do you remember the old child story, Brer Rabbit? Remember that? In that one critical scene where he says, oh, don't, please don't throw me in that briar patch. Well, now what happened? They threw him in the briar patch. The rabbit knew, wow, that would be his escape. Nobody would be able to chase him into the briar patch, but he being a rabbit could run on the bottom and he'd make his escape. That's essentially what happened to me in being sent away as punishment. I was sent away as punishment. You got to be kidding me. I'd get up at 7.30, not 5.30. I didn't have to do any chores at all. All I did was just eat breakfast, walk across the street to classes in a clean, cool, air-conditioned building all day long on the weekends, no responsibilities. I could play with my friends, do things, go to parties. Are you kidding me? This is punishment? That's really the reaction I had to that. Now, it it did destroy my relationship with that young girl, and, and rightfully so. And fortunately, you know, I met Joanne a few years later. But that was, you know, that's an interesting part of my story. It was there that I met Jay Landis, who was, Dr. Jay Landis was my English teacher. I really refined writing under Jay, Dr. Landis's guidance. I loved writing. I discovered my love for writing, and of course, that continues to serve me well today. Well, I came back home after high school graduation. My dad expected me, knew that I was obligated to help him on a farm. I mean, that's what I would do next. No options, no choice, no dreaming about your dream life, following your passions. No, I've fed you for 18 years. You owe it to me to work on the farm. I wanted more than that. I wanted to go. I wanted to be. I wanted to do. I wanted to have more than what that life seemed to offer in my future. So I started against his wishes to go to night classes at Ohio State University, branch of Ohio State University. I did that not to craft a career path. I wasn't looking for a job, but it was a politically correct way. So kind of, kind of a, kind of socially acceptable way to get out of the farm. That's all it was. I was looking for an escape from the farm and going to college allowed that to happen. Well, I majored in psychology, not as a matter of creating a career path. It was really more a process of personal discovery, personal understanding. I want to understand how we think how we feel, how we create our beliefs. Were the strict religious beliefs that I grew up with, you know, did they really make sense in a broader context or was that just the belief of a little tiny group of people? So I studied that. Along the way, met Joanne, 
at her very first day at Ohio State University, the first day of my second year. Met her on her very first day. We very quickly got engaged and married soon thereafter. She was she had just turned 19, I had just turned 20. Boy, that's a big part of my story, believe me. For a very long time, that's been a big part of my story. Very significant scene in making the decisions that I did to marry Joanne, to woo her, win her affection, marry her, and begin our life together. Well, in 1969, I graduated from The Ohio State University. Now, if you remember the time frame there, 1969, we were right at the height of Vietnam. I had avoided the draft because I was in college, but I graduated in May of 1969. My draft number was seven, which means I was really on a short list. I had 30 days to enlist. Well, what you think back a little bit, I had registered as a conscientious objector because I was Mennonite. It was just a natural thing to do. I didn't even think about it at the time. But when I was 18, I had registered as a conscientious objector. The draft board in my little county in Ohio had never before encountered a college graduate conscientious objector. Well, most conscientious objectors, the guys that I knew in our church, you know, they had put in their two years, which we had to do, put in two years, what was called voluntary service. And it was usually doing a really menial job, like in a hospital. I mean, mopping floors, cleaning bedpans. That's usually how people got through those two years, just grin and bear it, get through it. So the government, you know, says, okay, you did your duty, you're free. Well, I was a college graduate in working with my, the clerk in our little draft board. She says, well, you know, I've never encountered this, but really you can do anything in health education or welfare. I took a position as an adjunctive therapist at Harding Hospital. It was a wonderful, wonderful psychiatric hospital. We saw a lot of the kids coming back from Vietnam who were messed up. We saw other people. It was people who were fairly wealthy would be able to come there. It was a wonderful, wonderful environment. And I served my two years. That's the only time I had even the semblance of a real job. It was the two years that I served as a result of being a conscientious objector coming out in 1969. Well, it was such a great position. I stayed there for another two years. So I stayed there for four years. Then I decided, eh, I'm ready for a change. So I went and got my master's degree. Joanna and I had one little baby at that point. I got a teaching assistantship. She sewed clothes for hard-to-fit women as a way to generate income. We had a wonderful, wonderful two and a half years in Bowling Green, Kentucky, Western Kentucky University. I love that. Got my master's degree. Incidentally, no student loan debt. We just, we had resources that I had accumulated in those four years of working. So I sold the Jaguar XKE that I had, the house that we had purchased, and we used the equity in those to spend those two years. So I got my master's degree. Then we moved to California. I took a position, well, not a position. It was just joined a friend out there as an independent counselor. At, and we called it the Center for Human Understanding. How is that for a grandiose title? Center for Human Understanding. Well, I was there for four months. And I thought, oh my gosh, if I have to see another privileged kid complaining about their life situation, you know, I'm going to pull my own hair out. I don't want to do this. You know, I, 
this has no interest to me at all. And I joined a friend who had a car lot right there in Anaheim, California. And so I became his retail car salesman. He would go buy the cars, get them reconned and bring them to the lot. And I would sell them. I absolutely exploded with passion and enthusiasm in that position. Love, love, love what I was doing and uh, made more money. God, I made three times the money, I suppose, that I've ever dreamed of making as a counselor. And it, it, again, just fueled my entrepreneurial itch. I mean, as I said, I've been a car guy, uh, stayed there for four years, did that. But uh, I just looked at my, I keep a list. I, I know I've forgotten some along the way, but I have a list of 54 cars that I've had. So again, that's a continuing theme to the movie of my life. Our cars that I have, cars tell a lot about a person. I mean, there, there are companies that when interviewing will say, you know what, let's go to lunch. Now my car is parked quite a ways away. Let's just take your car because they want to see the car that somebody drives, how somebody maintains their car. If they get in there and golly, it's full of apple cores and, you know, old uh, hamburger wrappers and things It tells a lot about a person. So, and I, I continue to believe that today. I look at people's cars and it tells me a lot about the person. Well, we left California because I decided I don't want to get up every morning. I still had some of the old farm boy stuff in me. I didn't want to get up every morning and rub my eyes because of the smog and then fight traffic, getting to where I wanted to go. Are you kidding me? Why don't we live somewhere where when we walk out the back door, we're where we want to be. So we moved back here, moved back here. First came back to Bowling Green, Kentucky. I started an auto accessories business helping the new car dealers make more money. So it wasn't retail, but I would help the new car dealers. We installed sunroofs and cruise control and pinstriping and door edge guard and side molding, you know, all the running boards, all those kind of cool things to make, take a car and give them more financial margin as they sold it. Love doing that was very successful. If I knew now, what if I knew then what I knew now, I would have turned that into a franchise Had all the components, but I didn't know that then. So I got bored, which I tend to do when things are very successful. I got bored, sold it to a couple of employees, moved on, had the uh, health and fitness center. If you've read 48 days to the work you love, you know about that story, had that for about four years in that period of time, made some decisions too quickly. I should have waited longer, but I made some decisions, put me in a tough financial position. I ended up selling that business at public auction, woke up the next morning, realized I was about $430,000 in debt. Well, that's another scene from my story. Did I have a challenge? Yes. Did I need to meet somebody to meet a guide to help me through that? Yes. I looked at various places for the books, the event, the guide, the coaches that were going to help me walk through that and certainly found all of those things to help me choose a plan of action. I decided at that point being deeply in debt. Now, again, I had a master's in clinical psychology at that point, so I could have gotten a job and it would have been seemingly the responsible thing to do. Go get a job, man, you know, make 60, $70,000. Well, with being in debt as I was, I couldn't make the math work. There's no way in the world I could support a family with a, a stay-at-home wife and three kids and have enough for us to live and repay the debt I had. Now, And we didn't file bankruptcy. That was an option that was recommended. But I said, nah, you know, I was raised Mennonite. If my word isn't any good, they just dig a hole and push me in. We're going to work our way out of this. Yeah, it took me longer than I thought. 
another chapter in my life and a scene in the movie. Took me 12 years. I thought I could do it in two. Now it took me 12 years to walk out of that mess. That's all right. It was a great time of our lives. Our kids don't remember it being a hard time because we were still having loving, nurturing relationships. We had a heck of a lot of fun. We didn't go to the fancy places that we used to, but we uh, had fun anyway. Great time in the lives of Joanne and me and with our kids as well. In that period of time, we then moved to Nashville and I decided that I wanted to uh, finish my doctorate degree. So I was working on my doctoral degree working at Oxford University. So I would go back and forth to England. So I would go over there for like three weeks and then come back. And then you complete a series of study. You prepare papers, essays, and all that. You go back and meet with your doctoral team again. We got to the end of that. And of course, to complete a doctoral program, you do a dissertation. So I met with my doctoral team for elderly gentlemen. And I said, okay, as I understand this, I can spend a year and a half or so uh, writing a document that nobody in the world except you four will ever read. I mean, dissertations are not meant to be read by anybody except your dissertation committee, just to prove that you have a grasp of a particular concept. And I said, so I can do that. So you give me a piece of paper I can hang on the wall. Or as it appears to me, I could spend that same period of time, write something, based on my own knowledge and experience at this point in my life, that would maybe encourage other people and maybe make me a little money along the way as well. I wrote 48 Days to the Work You Love instead of doing a doctoral dissertation. So I did all the coursework, you know, at four point for my coursework, but I never did the dissertation. So I never technically got the degree. Do I regret having written 48 Days to the Work You Love rather than getting that piece of paper? No, and you don't have to call me Dr. Dan. I'm not concerned about massaging my ego with titles, but I wrote a book that went on to be a New York Times bestseller and yeah, made me a little money along the way and has inspired a whole lot of people. That's a significant decision as you unfold the movie of my life. Having decided to do that rather than complete that dissertation in a normal fashion, do what a normal person would have done and get a degree. Well, that same period of time, I started teaching a Sunday school class. Joanne and I were asked to teach a class on career life transition at our church here in Nashville. So did that. And you know where the story picks up there and teaching that we were blown away at the people we had in attendance. It was people who not the 18-year-old who was deciding what to major in in college. You know, not the 22-year-old who had a degree and couldn't find a job. We, we had some of those, but we had physicians and dentists and engineers and accountants and pastors who came and said, everybody thinks I'm doing okay, and I am, but I don't think this is it. I don't think I'm really on the right path. This is certainly not my dream. You know, help me find some new options. Well, in doing that, it opened the opportunity to help those people walk through those relentless, inevitable transitions. And I've continued doing that ever since. And it's turned into what I'm known for today, the 48 Days brand, where we, I can coach and speak and have live events and create products that address that particular issue, how to find your passion, how to put legs on that so you're doing something that has meaning, purpose, and profitability on Monday morning. Well, a few years ago, 48 being our, our special number, 
we celebrated our 48th wedding anniversary. Now we really put on a party. We booked the, um, the, the legends club, the country club here, Vanderbilt legends club. We booked that for an event. We had music. We were introducing Joanne's book, creating a haven of peace. At that point, we had gift bags for everybody and we invited, and we had, I don't know, I'm thinking about 90 people there, but people who have had a significant part in our life story. People like our friends, Dave and Sharon Ramsey, and certainly a lot of others that you know as well. We had a party and we made it memorable because we did 48. I mean, everybody does 50, big deal. We did 48 and people loved the novelty of it. Well, we did then a couple, a couple of years ago, we did our 50th. We did an anniversary cruise. We went down to Barbados, but we did that just the two of us. So again, another significant thing, we went down on a submarine down to Barbados. It was a mind blowing experience. I never, I had no conception of what was down in the ocean, what you could see and enjoy down there that we saw. Well, at this point I'm planning the next 25 years. I mean, I, the movie is not over. I'm planning on the next 25 years. I really am. And what I want to do, I'm laying things out. Every Sunday morning, I get up and write a piece that I call Sabbath Musings. It's just a short philosophical, spiritual kind of piece, usually about six or 700 words long, to just kind of challenge our thinking, give us some new areas of hope and inspiration. I send that out only to the members of my mastermind. So that's been a very, very small audience. However, the one I just did this past Sunday was number 128. So I've been doing that for 128 weeks. Well, if you do the math on that word-wise, that's what, about 85,000 words. That's more than what is in a book. So do I have the content for a next book? Yes, I'm so excited about it, I can't see straight. I've gotten a lot of encouragement from those people who are in my mastermind to get that out there. I went to Barnes & Noble a couple of weeks ago and looked at packaging that really appealed to me. And I picked up a devotional. It's the Duck Commander devotional by the Duck Dynasty guys. It's got a, it's five by seven. It's got a really soft embossed leather cover with ducks all around it. Of course, I would have eagles. And then you open it up. It's gold edge pages. It's beautifully done. And it's exactly what I want to do in terms of presentation. So I'm excited about that. The hardback version of 40 Days to the Work You Love came out in 2005. In 2010, I did a revision. 2015, I did a major revision. Well, you see where we are right now, 2020, I am working on the new edition of 48 Days to the Work You Love. So those are the things that are unfolding right now. I mean, I am totally jazzed about the unfolding movie that I'm creating every day. Well, hey, let me give you these. Let me just, I'm going to just stop there. Now, obviously, I, I want you to be as excited about the movie of your life as I am. And I know that you have those things there. You can look back at those and create a story around those events in your life so that it would be an appealing movie. So let me give you these seven steps again, and we'll have these clearly laid out in the show notes. And we'll just uh, wrap up with that. Number one, what was happening in your life? What did you want? And Donald Miller terminology, what was the problem? What was the challenge? What was the pain point? What was the gap? You know, something going on where you wanted a change. What was going on? 
Number two, what was the problem you encountered? How did you first respond? I mean, sometimes we don't want to trust just our first response. We want to do something different. Number three, who did you meet or what book did you read or what event did you go to? You know, what, what did you come up with that gave you possible solutions? Number four, what, what plan of action did you choose? Number five, what would have happened if you had chosen another plan or no action at all? How did that action help make you the person you are today? And then number seven, and I love this, what is a new challenge and opportunity that you're having right now? Well, you know, you are creating the movie of your life. You have the opportunity. You don't have to just look back over your shoulder and see what happened. You can write the script for what you want it to be and then act that out as the movie of your life continues to unfold. So in fact, you will hear this. Yeah. Instead of this. <laughs> well, Hey, I hope that this has been inspiring for you. You know, it was just one of those where I thought, wow, I love the responses that I got. When I put that question out and I thought rather than just having, you know, I I enjoy these times where we take just a particular theme and kind of unpack it. I think it's worthwhile to do that once in a while. Obviously, I love your questions. And if you've got questions or responses to this, things you'd like for me to unpack, I mean, please do send those in. Just send those in to Dan at 48days.com. Easiest way to get them in. But uh, I love these kind of episodes as well where we take a problem, take a challenge, take a particular theme, and unpack it together. So, and remember, you can get my five recommended books to help you improve your mindset and act in your dreams. Just go to 48days.com slash books. I want to give you a whole lot of things to do, but I always want to give you a resource. And we've got lots of things that can help you move along changing your mindset if you need to. You know, we tell people all the time, Three things are needed to move ahead successfully. Right mindset, right idea, right network. Those are three things we can help you access. Reach out, make sure that you take advantage of those three things, however you come up with them. But more than anything, hey, thanks for being part of this amazing community where we get to unpack ideas like this together. We get to share together and we get to find or create work that is indeed meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. Trust me, you don't have to settle for less. Have a great week.